we worship a holy God, but He's not out there separate from us, leaving us in our shame and our condemnation, but instead He is right here among us. In all of His holiness, in the midst of all of our filth, all of our seemingly pure motives that really issue forth from very toxic places. And He comes among us to dwell among us. How cool is that? He could have left us distant in our shame and our guilt and our condemnation, but He said, no, I love you. I created you to be so much more than what you could ever imagine. Than what you could ever imagine. And He says, I'm here. Will you invite me to work in your life and not to play a game of religion where we come and we do our thing and we leave but will you invite me to come and to change your heart to make your heart love me to love my ways and to delight in those and invite me to change you from the inside out into those ways kind of like the child in the Chronicles of Narnia who had rebelled and he went to Aslan and he became a dragon for those of you who are familiar with the story and Aslan the angry the uh, the lion who's the Christ figure begins to peel away the scales from his body so that he is no longer a dragon but he can be the boy that he was created to be that's exactly what redemption is that's what He invites us into. Amen? He wants to peel away the callousness. He wants to peel away the, the scales that hold us in bondage and turn us into something other than that which we were created to be. And he says, I want you to be the best versions of who I created you to be. That's redemption and that's why we're here this morning. But there's so much that sabotages that. And Jim is going to be coming and sharing one of the uh, well, one of the areas where it sabotages the work of the gospel in our lives. That where we shove Aslan away to keep him from peeling away the scales because we've been hurt too much. So I'm looking forward to that because I don't want us to live sabotaged lives. God doesn't want us to live sabotaged lives. He wants to live lives to the fullness of all that He intended us to be. So let's pray. Father, as we come before You and hear from Jim, Lord, what You have laid on his heart and what You have taught him through his life and his experience, Lord, what You have used through him to set so many other people free, Father, may You anoint this time that Your people may be set free as well. Lord, that we would have the scales ripped from our bodies. Lord, that uh, confine us and define us in ways that are so contrary to what You have called us into. So, Father, may You speak clearly and fiercely this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Jim? Thank you.
Well, I'm excited to be here this morning to talk about something that's had an interesting impact on my life. So what I'd like to do before we get started is just ask a couple simple questions. We're going to talk about Matthew 5, 33 through 37. So the real question there in that is, it's about oaths and vows. How many think this had little impact on their lives? How many think it's had a lot of impact on their lives? How many have no idea? (laughs) All right, thank you. All right. One of the things that the uh, slides, we're going to go through the slides fairly fast because it's scripture that I, I believe that virtually all of you are going to be quite familiar with. So I'm going to use it as a reference point. And I would uh, remind you that you can go to the, we, uh, the uh, Elam EFC website and you can download this presentation, which has all the, the scriptures and the reference points on it, which as you work through this process, you may find helpful. All right. Let me open in prayer here. Dear Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you, Lord God, for your word and how profound it is in changing and directing our lives. And how out of your grace and your mercy, Lord, you point and show us where we have slipped and failed, misunderstood, don't understand. And you bring clarity and light to lead us and show us the correct path. I thank you for that. And I ask you to bless the preaching this morning uh, as my heart pitters and patters up here uh, in front of all these people. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So one of the things that I think about when I think about Scripture is I tend to think of it in silos, right? So if I sin, name it, fear, then I think about what fear does. If I think about a vow, I think about a vow and what it does. One of the things I'm going to challenge you with this morning is to think about Scripture in a more holistic way, about how it fits how the scriptures fit our lives in broad ways. So they kind of combine as we, as we struggle with life. And we're going to get into the details of this. This is kind of a, 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 a talk on practicality, what it really means to us individually. All right. Here we go. Matthew 5, 33 through 37. I gotta take my glasses off so I can read. Now I can't see you. All right. Okay. Again, you you have heard that it is said to those of old, "You shall not swear falsely." Commit perjury is what swear means. It means that you're going to do it. But shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven. That's by God, or God's throne, by earth, for it is a footstool, by Jerusalem a place, for it is a city of the great kings. Do not take an oath by your head, that means by your mind, or by yourself, or to yourself, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more comes from evil. Evil means hurtful, 
uh, calamitous, derelict, vicious, malice, wicked, wickedness. Not good. So, and one of the challenges when we, when we do make oaths and vows is we put ourselves under the law. Now, a classic one that we're all familiar with, or at least most of us, is that when we get married, we vow, right? We vow by the authority of the state, by the authority of God, that we're going to be faithful and honor and respect each other until death do us part. So that's a classic vow that we're all familiar with. But that's not what I'm really talking about here today. Another one, James uh, 5.12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear by either heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but, but let your eyes, yeses be yes and your nose be noes, so that you may not fall under condemnation. All right. I'm going to go to the next one here. This is where it all started. This is in the Old Testament, part of the law. Numbers 30-2. This puts a person under the law. And this is a spiritual law. Swear, um, if a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears on an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not be, break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeded out of his mouth. Proceeded. That means that you're going to do it. And this swear is the same thing as if you sat, stood on a, on a Bible, put your hand on a Bible, and swore seven times. That's what this word means in Hebrew. It is a commitment, and it's serious. All right? But when we vow and, and, and uh, make oaths, we are putting ourselves under the impact of law. And mercy and grace is far better. So I want you to really think about that. Because I want to give you some examples out of my own life coming up here where we so easily fall into this. At least I found it easy. <laughs> All right. Now one of the things we're talking about silos that, that we don't think about much is like judgments. All right? Why don't we go to the next one up here? Next slide. Thank you. All right. So what happens if we make a judgment and follow it up with a vow? Right? So let me give you a, something that I know that everyone in here has done, at least once. Or if you're like me, I've done it many times. I will never be like that person, being fill-in-the-blank. Angry, deceitful, a liar, lazy, good for nothing, frustrating, uh, prideful, hypocrite. Uh, you can think about all the things you can throw in there, right? So what does the word say when you do that? And this is where the profoundness comes in. Now, I put some uh, additional biblical references up there for you guys to, to review later. So we're going to go to Romans 2, 1 through 6. And this is the longest one i got to read, so bear with me. Therefore, you are without excuse, O man, everyone who judges. 
For in that which he you judge another, right, you condemn yourself, for you who judge do the same thing. But know that the judgment of God is according to the truth on which on which those who practice such things, and, O oh man, the one judging those who do such things and practice them, do you think this, that you shall escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his kindness or the forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But according to your hardness and your impotent heart, do you treasure up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each according to his works. It's a lot to take in. A lot to take in. So he's going to, so when we judge another, we're doing it out of what? An impure heart. So we judge. We are guilty of that ourselves. How do we know? Because God says. Then out of that, we vow that we're not going to do that or that they're, they're bad or wrong. What does that do to us in terms of putting us back under the law ourselves? This is a spiritual law. How does God react? Well, he just told us how he reacts. We are condemned. Not a good place to be. All right. So why is this important? Thank you. All right. Morality? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's moral. But you know something? Morality indirectly is, is important, but it's not important from an eternity standpoint. A relationship with God is what that's about. Is it a good idea? Yes. You know what? It's a lot easier for us to get along with others when we don't do this. It really is. You know, people like a kind heart and a gentle soul. And when we're judgmental and, and confrontational in those judgments, where does that leave us? Well, not so necessarily so good. How about from a God's spiritual law standpoint? What does that kind of look like? Well, I'm going to share something with you. As we've all experienced gravity. Now, I've fallen off a ladder once. It really hurt. But, you know, when you've got to climb a long hill, it's a hard row, right? You've got to fight gravity. Now, if you don't believe in it, is it going to do you any good? Well, if you really don't believe, you might step off a building. What do you think is going to happen? Splat. That's what's going to happen. Well, the challenge with spiritual laws is that we struggle with the same thing. They are, in effect, whether we believe them or not. It matters not. It doesn't matter if you're saved or unsaved, a heathen, a Christian, a Muslim, an atheist. It doesn't matter. They still apply. And that's the root that we have to think about in our daily walk. All right. I'm going to go a little bit deeper into ones that really impact us. We'll talk about honoring. One of the Ten Commandments, uh, here's some reference points for you, is Deuteronomy 5.16. 
honor your father and your mother as Jehovah your God has commanded you, so that your days may be made longer, and that it may go well with you in the land which Jehovah your God gives you. Man, a commandment with a promise. Now that promise is intended for our good. But actually when you read it, it's inherently neutral. Right? What do I mean by neutral? Well, if you've not honored your parents and your lays don't go well, it's just an execution of the law. A spiritual principle. It's quiet in here. All right. So, I'm going to give you some examples out of my own life uh, that you may find uh, uh, entertaining at my discomfort. But, uh, but what I would like to challenge you is to think about this from your own standpoint. Now, in 19... Oh, and some of you have heard some of this before because I'm going to talk a little bit about my upbringing. In about 1988, I came home from work and my lovely wife down there was listening to me for the umpteenth time complaining about, you know, I work for a bunch of jerk bosses. I really struggle with them. I work my tail off, and you know what? It doesn't matter what I do. They never live up to their promises. They never do what they're supposed to do. <sighs> Man. You know, I got to... And, and she said something really quite profound to me at that point. She said, wow, how many has it been? And I said, Six. The last six bosses, which is pretty much all of my had had at that point at the company I was working at. And she says, hmm, I wonder what's common about that. <laughs> oh, I said, I, you know, I, I went, oh, wait a minute. Are you saying? I wasn't very happy with her at the moment. But, you know, I really thought about that. I mean, I really thought about it. And I realized, she's right. What is wrong with me? I realized that I was empowering my bosses to have profound impact on my lives, and I wasn't being responsible. I wasn't partaking in my side of the negotiations in my employment so that I got out of it what I really deserved. So I processed hard on that, and I vowed, and I said, you know, I'm never going to let this happen to him again. I'm never going to let those jerk bosses treat me this way and not reward me for what I should do. And you know what? They didn't. But boy, was I hard. Boy, was I difficult, was I difficult to deal with. Um, I pre-negotiated everything I did from that point forward, and then I did it, which also put me in a difficult spot because they learned real quick to negotiate hard so that I would do what they wanted to do without rewarding me any more than they had to. Gee, it sounds a lot like the law again, because that's what it was. All right, so now I want to break this down. Now, this is going to be, you're going to find this interesting. 
So why did I have problems with authority? Well, in praying and dealing with God and, and, and trying to change the strongholds in my life, I came across these principles that I'm sharing with you today. Um, and I realized that I had judged my stepfather. I had judged him as deceitful. I had judged him as manipulative. I had a lot of profound unforgiveness in my heart. I was bitter. And in that process, I had vowed, as a child, this would be about 1964, that I would never, that he was, those things, a liar, deceitful, um, a hypocrite, that I would never be like him. So, how did that turn out? So I dishonored my dad. I had vowed that I wouldn't do it. I had judged him. So I did all those. And how did it turn out? I had a problem with authority from that day forward in my life. So in 1988, when I made this second vow, I compounded the problem. Right? So I, I judged work. I never dealt with the original vow. I judged work and the bosses I had, and then I flipped it. I flipped it. I took over control and did what I did. All right. You know something? It's kind of a frustrating part of my life. And it went on for many, many, many years. All right. So, what do you do about it? Because we've all done these. I guarantee it. All right. All right. So I'm gonna we're gonna talk about the process to get through this here in just a few minutes. I'm gonna give you a simple example uh, next. Now, one thing, my wife. I'm picking on my wife here. Well, actually, I'm allowing her profound insights to pick on me. Uh, she always hated to ask me to do yard work. Why would I not? I mean, I, there's things we all enjoy and there's things we don't enjoy, but why would I always, I mean, I would get angry. Every time she'd ask me to do something in the yard, I had a terrible time because it just, I didn't want to do yard work. What's the big deal? I mean, I can wear gloves so my hands don't get dirty. What's the big deal? And one day when, I, when her and I were out in the backyard working and I was thinking about this, I said, wow, just like with authority, I recognized I had a reoccurring pattern in my life. Every time I was going to do yard work, I got mad. Hmm, I wonder where that came from. Well, I prayed about it, and God showed me, back when I was a teenager, I had to do a lot of yard work for my mom and my stepdad. I guess they couldn't afford a, a gardener. And I did a lot. And I remember one day in the hot afternoon sun, I was digging holes to plant plants, and I swore, 
that they had treated me inappropriately because I was angry and frustrated about doing yard work. That they had treated me inappropriately and that I would never, ever do yard work again if I had a choice. Oh. All right. Huh? Yeah, there you go. Thanks, man. All right. <laughs> All right. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, one other component, and then I'm going to go through how you how do you deal with this in our in our in our uh, in our lives. Hebrews 12:15. Uh, Bitter roots. It says here, to see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble, and by it, and by it many become defiled. What is that really saying? What is it really saying? It's saying that out of anger and bitterness, it becomes a theme in our lives, so that like with the bosses, and with the yard work, every time that theme comes up, Martin would call it triggers in the backstage. Every time those themes come up, somewhere at the root of that is unforgiveness, and it has grown and grown and grown. I gotta speed her up. <laughs> All right, sewing. Talk a little bit about that. Uh, Job uh, 4.8 As I have seen, the one who plows iniquity and sows wickedness reaps the same. The problem with vows is that it says that we are in charge, not God. And that's the real sin of it. We take control of our lives rather than letting God have control. Galatians 6.7-9 Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he also will reap. For he sows to the flesh, reaps corruption from the flesh, but he sows to the Spirit, will reap life everlasting from the Spirit. But we should not lose heart in well-doing, for in the due season we shall reap if we do not faint. And of course, what's, what happens when, you, when a farmer plants seed? Does he only get back what he put in? Does he get back what he puts in, or does he get back less? More. Yeah, the law of increase. God really intended the law of increase to be something that blesses each and every one of us in life. That's the original creation, right? You plant and you reap. You plant seed, you reap a harvest. The problem with the law of increase is that when we do the wrong things, we also receive the law of increase. Jose 8.7 For they sow with the wind and they reap the whirlwind. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. But I say this, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. There it is again. For whatever a man sows, that he also will reap. For he sows to the flesh with corruption and from the flesh. But he who sows to the Spirit will reap life everlasting from the Spirit. Reoccurring theme, huh? All right. How do we get through this mess? How to accomplish forgiveness? How to break this law impact on our lives? 
because it is quite profound. It has changed me by dealing with this in almost every aspect I can think of. You're having fun. I love it. Um, So, first of all, we have to recognize it. Right? How do we recognize it? The easiest way is to look for reoccurring themes in your life that are not good. I mean, if you're always good, and you do it out of a pure heart, you've arrived. <laughs> right? So you've got to recognize it. So I had to recognize my inherent problem with my boss, my inherent problem with yard work, and there are many, many, many others. Then I have to confess. I have to agree with God that I have a problem, that I have sinned. And what's really good here is to sit down and analyze and pray about this, because what you really want to do is get it all. Like with my stepfather, it wasn't as simple as I made a simple judgment, a simple vow, and had a simple results. It was more complicated than that. I realized that I had sinned against my stepfather. I had sinned against God. I had sinned against myself. I had put myself under the law. So I had to deal with all those components as part of the, uh, of the process of confession and repentance, turning away from it. So I confess it, and I, ask, I tell God to relieve me of that. Part of it is I also have to make sure that I have fully and truly forgiven the person that I had this judgment against. Why? Because unless I truly forgive it, the bitter root is still there, and it's still going to defile many. It won't go away. So you really have to repent and forgive. The key there is forgive. And sometimes that takes a little bit of time. Another one is you have to accept forgiveness from God. This is done by the power of the cross. We're all familiar with this. What do we have to do? Okay. So we say, God, forgive me for what I did. Forgive me for my rebellion against my stepdad. Forgive me for having done that. Forgive me for holding bitterness in my heart. I accept forgiveness from you. And I'm asking you, Lord, to fill my heart with your love. I'm asking you, Lord, to break this off of me, to heal me of it, to fill me in the void. And under certain conditions, you know, like my stepfather, he's dead, so blessing him doesn't do any good. Uh, But if the person's alive, it's good to pray for them and to ask God to bless them. We're asked to do that. Pray for your enemies, right? And then sometimes it's also good to do restitution, i.e., restore the relationship that, that has been broken. Okay? All right. Let's spend a little bit of time uh, talking about forgiveness. I want you to all realize, sometimes, you know, we say, you know, forgive a person. But one of the things that we we tend to, at least I have, tend, tend to forget is that God commands us to forgive others so that he can forgive us. Now, that's not salvation, but it's talking about our daily walk. Right? So when we come to him, we are saved and our sins are forgiven. But life goes on and we are sinned against. How do we respond? 
unforgiveness. We often find ourselves in that state, and then we have to we have to step back and go, oh, oh, Lord, forgive them. I forgive them. Forgive me. It's a good reminder. All right. All right. Almost done. How has this impacted your life? I'm going to ask you all just. I'm just going to take just a minute. I'm going to ask you all to just. Ask God to show you where you have reoccurring negative themes in your life. Just ask Him. Go ahead and start. Okay. Uh, we wanted to do kind of a question and answer if, uh, if you all have some questions. And as you're thinking about a question you might ask, I was just going to add one more thing. One of the things that happens when I get up here and preach normally is I really do have a pitter-patter of the heart. It's, I find it a little stressful. Now, some of that is normal. But one of the things I said to my wife last night, I said, you know... It seems like every time I got to preach, I get sick. I kind of get a horse, th- you know, horses in the throat. I kind of get a cold. I don't feel well. It's never stopped me. And then I went, wait a minute. That sounds like a reoccurring theme. And at, four, at five o'clock this morning, or excuse me, four o'clock this morning, I woke up, and I suspect that it had a little bit to do with being up here this morning. And I was laying there and I was praying and I said, Lord, this is a reoccurring theme. What is going on? And he brought back to remembrance. One of the things that my stepfather did was use the word to, to manipulate and to connive and to direct others to his will. And when I vowed against that, I have a fear of misleading you, an inherent fear based on my knowledge, not on God. And I went, ooh, ouch. And so I said, Lord, forgive me for that. Forgive me. And I forgive my stepfather for what he did to me there. Break this vow. I do not want to live under this curse. And you know something when I finished? For the first time in my preaching that I do, and I do this enough that, I, that it's not uncommon, I actually went right back to sleep, which normally I wouldn't have. I would have been up the rest of the night. So, questions? Sure. Maybe just more clarifying than anything. So, in summary, are you saying that when we are sinned against, especially as young children, by parents, by others, and we rise up against that sin in our own wounds, in our own pain, 
And we say, I will never do that. Or I will never be that way. Or I will never let... In my case, it was, I will never be dishonored. Uh, you know, when I'm out of this house, I will never allow anyone to dishonor me. That's a vow. Um, that when we do that, that that creates a spiritual stronghold Absolutely. within us that then begins to shape our lives and turns us in really to the opposite person that we ever wanted to be. Correct. Okay, so if I say I never want to be angry like my father, you're saying that I'm going to become a very angry father. Correct. And I, I want to validate that. That's exactly what happens. Yeah. And I don't understand how all that happens other than from what you're saying is that we make a vow to God, we make ourselves God, we take control of our lives, and then we begin to act it out. Based on the spiritual laws, we have no choice. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, it's interesting, I read a quote, um, I shared this with a men's group I was in yesterday, and it's that uh, those wounds that are not transformed, we will transmit to others. So what is not transformed will be transmitted. And I think that that fits right in with that. So it's interesting. It's inter and it's complex. So, questions, thoughts. Larry, can you, uh, you want to give me? Clarify something for me. And I think uh, one of the verses that's kind of become a guiding verse for my life is Matthew six twenty one, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And I think one of the dynamics here for me is. And I think what happens when you say, I'm never going to be like that, is you, you invest in that thought, the anger, the bitterness, whatever. You turn it over and over in your mind. You spend your time focusing on the dark side, the negative things, where, you know, Philippians says, Philippians says whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are just, you know, et cetera. Think on these things. And so we have a tendency, I know I have a tendency, to spend my time investing on my frustrations at work if, if my boss, if I feel like my boss is mistreating me, I think about that, I turn it over and over in my mind. And um, that's the opposite of what, what God is saying is needed to, to overcome that. What he says is needed to overcome that is to replace those thoughts with something mm -hmm. from him. So I think that's part of the principle of what you're talking about. It's the, sort of the principle of investment. And what, what Matthew 6.21 says is if you invest in the right things and then your heart goes thereafter, after that investment is made, so the, so then that begins to bear that kind of great good fruit in your life. Thank you. I have a question over here, Jim. Um, you know how sometimes when you're in those situations and somebody's really making you upset, and you're you want to say, "Oh, I will never be like that person." Um, do you think it would be okay instead of saying that, praying, "Lord, help me that I am not that I do not." act that way, like if it was your own mother or something, instead of taking it in your own hands, asking God to help you to not be that way? That's a good way of putting it. But one of the things you might think about, too, is a trigger, and you said it beautifully, Krista, is when you're in your vow, in your judgment, judgment-vow combination, if you say always or never, you've, that's probably one of those things you never want to do. <laughs> You got it. Cool. Cool. Other questions? All right. One of the things that um, we got time for another one or two. Sandra. 
for me the difference between um, a vow and an oath where I go, I'll never do that, as opposed to looking at a situation or a person and making a decision that's separate from a vow of the heart that you make a decision to do something a different way? Okay, good question. Um, God has called us to use discernment and to do, to pray for others, to pray for ourselves, to, kind of like Larry was saying too, is, is to look for what is right or to do what is right. You don't cross the line when you do that. When you say, when you get into I, when you judge somebody and you say, I will never or I will always, that's when you typically have crossed that line. And the most damaging are those that happen when we are children. Because we then live our life under this, um, like a train on a railroad track. You just can't turn left or right. It's going down the track. And you try to turn right or you try to turn left, and you just can't do it. So you keep repeating a lot of those come out of our childhood. And God is faithful. If you pray and ask, ask God for help, the best way to recognize that is look for a fruit and then ask God to show you the root. And he, 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 will, uh, he will do that. Um, and it can make a profound difference on your life. Thanks, son. All right. Yes. If you had a new baby in your hands and you could shape their spiritual life, how would you have them approach and learn the truth rather than just, oh, made a lot of mistakes, now we got to undo them? What would you just do to make the tapestry of life um, understood and forgiveness as part of it right yeah. from the get-go? Yeah, well, one of the things that we, I think we have to do, two things. We have to recognize that no matter how perfect as parents we are, our kids will do and make some decisions and some vows on their own that is not helpful to them. What we can do is love them and not exasperate them. Don't create for them the situation where they want to judge you for being bad parents. Though the last time I checked, we all struggle at that one. At least I did. Ask Geneva. <laughs> and, I, and I would add to that that it's really important that we, we react to our woundedness, but we respond to the Spirit. Huge difference between those two. Reacting to our woundedness is when someone pokes a hurt within me and I re react and respond and say, you know, that'll, you'll never do that again. That will never happen again. You know, that's a mind that becomes set on the things of the flesh according to Romans 8. And that begins to shape us. A mind, though, that is set on the things of the Spirit, you know, they, they are shaped by the things of the Spirit. So I think that when it comes to children, I think it's really all about being able to take and reorientate them to what is it that God's calling you into? What is it that God wants to do into your life? What are the qualities that He wants to to put into your life and begin to make that the theme of one's engagement in weaving of the tapestry of that child's life. That makes sense. Um, 
rather than I know that when I was when I was a young parent, I reacted because of a lot of these vows to what my children would do, or even what my wife would do. Um, but it wasn't until sometime later that I really started to say, what kind of person do I want to be in the midst of this kind of situation? What kind of father do I want to begin to? How do I want to engage my children in these areas? Um, so that I begin to live out the things of the Spirit, um, the fruit of the Spirit in the midst of that. Well, I think sometimes, especially when you're talking parenting and dealing with this, is um, what was normal for us growing up, we either want to change that normal. And so sometimes we react to that. And I was really challenged this week. I had a friend who said, hey, I read this article, and he said, when you're dealing with your kids... Try dealing with them using the same tone that you would use with anyone else. Because as parents, a lot of times we give ourselves the, the right to speak harshly because it's our right to do that. And um, I had a friend who, who had said, you know, um, when you step back, ask yourself, is this appropriate in any other situation? Is it appropriate for me to treat anyone else in the way that I'm treating my kids at this point? Two things that are like, oh, well, I stink. <laughs> but yeah. it's really helpful for me to step back and say, okay, it's not okay. Like, normal, just because that's what I grew up with, doesn't mean that that's the way it should be. But not living in, that, in shame when I do fail. Mm-hmm. And it's really important for us to be able to ask the question when we, when we start to see the anger well up within us, with really within any, any relationships or with our children, that we ask the question, why? What's being poked there within me? And oftentimes, at least from me in my life, what that will point back to is an unresolved wound, unresolved issue in my own life. That then, once I am able to work through that and heal through that, then I can begin to respond to the ways of the Spirit and not react out of that, that, um, that toxic pain. Geneva. I know one of the things in my parenting that I've looked at is if there's something that my child is doing that frustrates me or bothers me, I look at myself. What am I teaching her or training her up in and ask God to um, work on me in that area and free me from it because I don't want the bondage. Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right. So one of the things that uh, I was going to offer is uh, two things. One, there's a book, there is a book that goes into a lot of this in, in great detail, a lot more than you could ever cover in, in a number of sermons. It's called, I Will Give You Rest, How You Can Experience the Peace Jesus Promised by Edward Carath. Um, and it's a good book to read. And it's, and it's simple. It isn't heavy in theology. It's heavy in practicality. So something you might you might want to do, and the other thing is is that those of you who might have questions you didn't want to bring up here, uh, we're going to meet over here by the uh, by Martin's office, so you can if you'd like to you can ask some more questions and we can follow up on that. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate it. Let's pray, Father. Um, you want us to be free, but Lord, we are. Oh gosh, we we don't really even have categories to understand how how twisted we can be behind the curtain in the back stages of our lives. So, Father, I pray that you would just take us as far as what we can go today. Lord, beginning to explore these things and just asking the questions, 
why is that so bothersome to me? Father, we may be able to come before your throne for your grace and your mercy, that we may be able to begin to experience healing perhaps in ways and in areas that we've never even realized needed to be touched by your Spirit. So, Father, we commit ourselves to you for that task, for you want us to be free, and, Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.